0: It's Stan here. And before we get started with today's episode, I want to tell you about another podcast that I think you should check out. It's Counter Programming with Shara and Ariel. This is the perfect anti bad COVID news podcast because there is a lot of bad news COVID 19 podcasts. We need some counter programming. And these two get together weekly to discuss anything that's counter related. So you get it? It's counter programming, right? The first series was on countertops, granite, marble, steel, and now they've moved on to other count topics. Count Dracula, counterfeiting coins, basically, if there's a counter involved, these two are going to have it covered. So check them out by searching for counter programming with Shira and Ariel wherever you get your podcasts. In June of 1971, things were humming along for the Brodsky-Gould Production Company. Brodsky was Jack Brodsky, a movie publicist for 20th Century Fox turned movie producer. Brodsky had served as a publicist for the infamously troubled shoot of Cleopatra in 1963, and this gave him a front-row seat to all the problems on set and the Liz Taylor-Richard Burton affair, which would be the subject of tabloids seemingly forever. Brodsky parlayed this information, along with another publicist, Nathan Weiss, into a successful book called The Cleopatra Papers. The book was basically just a printing of their gossipy back-and-forth memos of the goings-on set, but the public, who was eager for Liz and Dick gossip, ate it up. Gould was actor Elliot Gould, and in 1970, he was a big deal. He had a string of hit movies, was on the cover of Time magazine, and was named the star of the year by theater owners. Brodsky Gould had a number of projects on the table right out of the gate. An adaptation of the best-selling novel The Assistant, They'd bring the play Little Murders to the screen with French sensation Jean-Luc Godard directing. And they had a picture with Woody Allen lined up. And in June of 1971, filming would begin on A Glimpse of Tiger, with Gould starring in the lead. Within five days after filming began, Gould fired the director, terrified his co-star, and found himself out of work for nearly two years. My name is Dan Delgado, and today we're taking a look at this brief and troubled production in an episode we're calling Five Days of the Tiger. Welcome to the industry. In 1970, the biggest movie star in the world was quite possibly Elliot Gould. Sure, in 2020, he may be best remembered as Ross and Monica's father on Friends, or maybe you would know him from the Ocean's Eleven trilogy. But in 1970, ah, the world was his oyster. The then-32-year-old actor broke out a year earlier in Bob and Carol and Ted and Alice, a picture from filmmaker Paul Mazursky about a hip couple who become sexually liberated and their unhip friends who don't really get what's going on. The movie was also Mazursky's coming out as well. The movie was a hit, and today almost seems like a time capsule of what was going on in California in 1969. Well, I guess for some people in California in 1969. At the time, it was edgy. And really, it was the right movie at the right time. It earned four Academy Award nominations, including one for Elliot Gould, who played Ted, the unhip husband. Gould's next movie out was 1970's M.A.S.H., the third highest grossing movie of the year. A farcical comedy about the then-ongoing Vietnam War, which very subtly used the Korean War as a stand-in, M.A.S.H. was again the right movie at the right time. Director Robert Altman became an overnight Hollywood player, even though he'd been making movies since the 1950s. And Elliot Gould, he became an A-list star.
1: This is the story of two indispensable military surgeons. They had the army over a barrel. but did they take advantage of it? Yes. MASH, a motion picture that raises some important moral questions. And then, it drops them.
0: What are you two hootums doing in this hospital?
1: Oh, well, what's the matter with her genetic?
2: You know? Look, mother, I want to go to work in one hour. We are the pros from Dover. Somebody get that dirty old man out of this operating theater. And then give me at least one nurse who knows how to work in close without getting her tits in my way. I wonder how a degenerated person like that could have reached a position of responsibility in the Army Medical Corps. He was drafted.
0: Five months after Mash, Gould had his third success in a row with the comedy drama Getting Straight a minor hit about a graduate student torn between wanting to join the establishment and become a teacher and his sympathy for the anti-establishment students running around college. And it's getting straight that got Gould the attention of legendary Swedish director Ingmar Bergman. Bergman, best known for classics like The Seven Seal and Wild Strawberries, was looking to make his first English-language movie, a drama called The Touch. ABC Pictures, who was producing The Touch, wanted Paul Newman, or Robert Redford, or even Dustin Hoffman to star. But Bergman wasn't interested in those guys. No, no, he wanted Elliot Gould. Now, to be fair, when discussing Gould at this time, I should point out that he did have two flops in 1970 after getting straight. Two comedies, Move and I Love My Wife, both came and went, and are basically forgotten these days. But by this time... Gould had already teamed up with producer Jack Brodsky and started his own production company. The first film released by Brodsky-Gould was 1971's Little Murders. Directed by Alan Arkin, after Jean-Luc Godard left the project and starring Gould, Little Murders is an odd movie on its best day. It's about a couple dealing with the increasing violence and weirdness going on in New York City. Shootings, stabbings, obscene phone calls, garbage strikes, and a bunch of other weird, fun things happen seemingly almost at random throughout the movie. Uh, did I mention it's a comedy? It's a black comedy, but still. Little
1: Murders, a terrifying comedy. Starring Elliot Gould, Marsha Rod, Donald Sutherland, hey. Lou Jacobi, and Alan Arkin. Witness Little Murders. It's better than being a victim. Rated R.
0: Little Murders was not a hit with audiences. But critics liked it, and it does have a cult following these days. And this brings us to A Glimpse of Tiger, a drama about a 19-year-old runaway. That's Tiger. And she falls for a bohemian con artist named Luther. They steal things and act irresponsibly, and eventually, things turn tragic. Kim Darby, from the recent hit of True Grit, was cast as Tiger, and Gould, fresh off his trip to Europe and working with Bergman, would play Luther. Actors David Burney and Oliver Clark were also in the cast. David Carradine would do the score. Yes, that David Carradine. And Herman Rauscher, who wrote Summer of 42, would do the script.
1: And I read the script, and this is not to say it was good. I just remember thinking it was really good. Uh, I'm not sure I would think the same thing today. This
0: is Christopher Tabori. He's an actor and a director, and when it comes to A Glimpse of Tiger, he let me know he really didn't have anything to do with it. You know, I, I really have all
1: to do with Glimpse of Tiger.
0: Okay, so why is he
1: here? Well, there's a very good reason for that. I was Kim Darby's boyfriend at the time. And we were both in New York, is my memory. Okay, yes.
0: So Chris's involvement is peripheral at best. But he was dating one of the stars of the picture, and also, the rest of the major players either didn't respond to me or are no longer with us. Chris really liked the script in 1971. How much? Well, he liked it enough that he wanted Elliot Gould's part for himself.
1: I remember being extremely impressed with the script, but look, I, I, I was a young self-involved and selfish young actor and I immediately salivated because I wanted to play the part.
0: Anthony Harvey was brought in to direct. Harvey, who passed away in 2017, is probably best known for directing The Lion in Winter
1: and being Stanley Kubrick's editor for Dr. Strangelove and Lolita. I can see that Anthony Harvey would have been a candidate for this film and I'll, you know say why, he was a uh, extremely successful uh, commercial director, mm-hmm. who's bent, you know, uh, was in character driven material. And uh, this was definitely a character driven film. And he was kind of, you know, I hate these terms, but, you know, for lack of anything else, shorthand, I'll use them. You know, he was a sort of you know, actor, director, uh, or certainly thought to be somebody who could cull performances out of actors. So I, I think it made a certain sense. Gould decided that the key to his character
0: in Glimpse of Tiger was to always be in character. And this might have been the problem. The first day of shooting took place on a New York City subway. And the only thing accomplished on day one was the firing of the director. Anthony Harvey and Elliot Gould got into a big fight right from the get-go, and Harvey stormed off the set. Harvey was known for being quite meticulous and very precise. Maybe that's something that threw Gould off. Harvey was also a very proper Englishman, and Gould, well, Gould was not. The argument was over how the scene was being shot, and since Gould was the producer and the star, he wasn't going anywhere. But without Harvey, neither would the movie. Calls were made to Alan Arkin and getting straight director Richard Rush to take over, but both declined. In the interim, assistant director Burt Harris would be directing. Day two brought a Warner Brothers executive to the set. Paul Heller was sent to see what was going on. The word was Elliot Gould was acting strangely and Kim Darby was supposedly scared of him. According to Heller... He would just stand there and glare at her, and she in turn would retreat to her trailer. But Gould's behavior went beyond creepy glares. The day he fought with Anthony Harvey, he had decided to wear a football helmet and have cotton balls attached to his face. It was also the time Kim Darby was sitting in front of a glass top coffee table. Gould ran into the room and smashed his foot through it. Keep in mind, this was not in the script, and no cameras were rolling. He was also wearing a bathrobe and sucking on a pacifier. Darby has said that while Gould would have these outbursts, he never actually hurt her. But she was terrified.
1: At that point in Kim's life, she very much was a sort of, you know, willowy, recessive flower who could easily be frightened by people. I mean, that was the... I don't know that it was actually the truth of who she was, but it was certainly what she projected, so I get that that she would have projected that she that his behavior was erratic and thus unsettling and frightening. But I don't think she was really frightened of him. I think that it was just it wasn't what she expected. <laughs> you know, what she expected was that, you know, that have a wonderful time and make a movie together and, you know, be have a kinship. And, and because of whatever he was going through at that point, you know, that was not possible. The third day, Warner Brothers
0: decided to send armed security guards to the set. The idea was to put Kim Darby at ease, and that nothing was going to get out of hand. Although now the presence of armed guards was scaring Elliot Gould. He stopped showing up to the set. Gould would be in his apartment, refusing to go to work. Cast members and crew members alike both tried to coax him out. Phone calls, visits, nothing worked. And Paul Heller ended up receiving a mandate from Warner Brothers. If Gould wasn't going to show up, he was to shut the production down. And the next day, Gould didn't show up. When Heller went to make the phone call to shut the production down, he found out that the crew had cut the phone line. They wanted to keep working. After all, it was the crew that was going to be out of work. It didn't really matter, though. Heller simply went to a phone booth to make the call. And that was it. A Glimpse of Tiger was done. Well, not exactly.
1: So when Elliot Gould dropped out of the picture and there was a kind of scramble to possibly, and it was a, I mean, that scramble took place within a really short period of time. I'm not saying it lasted very long because he was what was, I think, generating the interest and in the financing in the picture. But there was a moment where the idea was, how do we, how do we resuscitate here? And what do we do? You know, I was, at that moment in time, and only for a brief moment, I was sort of, you know, a hot young thing. And there, him and I were together. And, you know, so there was this momentary discussion, and it may literally only have been in my head. Uh, you know, oh, how about if I stepped into this film? Because, cause, you know, I went like, my youth works to my advantage in this
0: part. He does have a point here. Elliot Gould is around thirty-two when a Glimpse of Tiger is being made. Chris was still in his twenties and was probably a better fit for the role of Luther,
1: at least age wise. I mean I had a copy of Glimpse of Tiger for a hundred years. I mean I used to carry it around all over the place. I don't know. I, I had this kind of fantasy about resuscitating that movie and that I, you know, this was a, gonna be a great thing for me to do. Uh, I'm not sure I was right, by the way, but you know, that was my idea at the
0: time. But it never worked out for Chris. He was not able to get the picture made. And considering the effort that Chris put into getting this made, one question did pop into my mind. At any point while you were thinking about getting this made, did you ever think to uh, bring this to your father? No. There's something I should point out to you about Chris. His father was directing legend Don Siegel. For those of you unfamiliar with Siegel... He was the man behind Invasion of the Body Snatchers, Dirty Harry, Charlie Varick, Escape from Alcatraz, and a number of others. The man was an absolute
1: legend. I don't remember ever thinking of giving it to my father to get a in. And the next question I would think you'd ask is, why wouldn't you? And, you know, uh, I guess that would open a Pandora's box, you know, whatever the dysfunction was between me and my father. No, it's a perfectly reasonable question. He actually, he had a very interesting project uh, about, it was a really weird little kind of arty movie idea that he fell in love with about this, Kid, who it was kind of in some ways it was a similar story, uh, that he was, he wanted to do work with me. He wanted to make a movie with me, and I think he felt a little guilty in that he didn't fight to put me into or choose to put me into. Uh, and I think, by the way, he made the right choice. the um, The movie he made with um, John Wayne, the Shootist, to play the the kid in it. Oh, the, the Ron or, Howard part. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Ron Howard because. Ron Howard was, like, really good in that. And in funny ways, it was really playing into all the things that Ron Howard did terribly well and that I would have had to act terribly well. Uh, and so I think, you know, my father probably made the right choice. But I, I, I think he still felt complicated about it. But I, I, never, I never even considered, I just didn't feel like a Don Siegel movie to me.
0: Herman Rauscher took his screenplay and turned it into a successful novel. He's in his 90s these days, and when I asked to speak with him about A Glimpse of Tiger, here's how he responded. Thanks for your email. The attempted adaptation of A Glimpse of Tiger was a bad experience all around and not something I want to revisit now. Still, I do appreciate your interest and wish you all the best. Gould would end up owing Warner Brothers $175,000 for the lost production of A Glimpse of Tiger. He paid it off, too. $25,000 a year over seven years. And he also didn't work for almost two years afterwards. It was his mash director, Robert Altman, that brought Gould back before cameras for the excellent The Long Goodbye in 1973. However, before Gould could be cast, he had to take a psychiatric evaluation and be legally declared sane. In interviews, Gould refers to his time with A Glimpse of Tiger as the debacle or the humbling. Here he is talking about it on the podcast WTF with Marc Maron. Something that was
2: called at the time A Glimpse of Tiger. And the way I saw it, it was the little prince in uh, urban uh, America right now. Yeah. And I was the aviator and the prince is this girl. And I didn't know that I should have tried to cast my wife, Jenny. And and I cast, I wanted to cast Kim Darby, and I said to her, it's going to be difficult. I've never done this before to be playing a part, and this is a different part. I'm a very, the character can be really frightening. It's just like this. And so if, if you get frightened or you don't understand where I'm coming from, just say, time out. Put your, make a tea with your hands. Call me over to the side. I'm like a doll. I mean, yeah. I, know, I, I need you to be happy, secure, and comfortable. But uh, she got, she was scared, and I didn't know that I was way beyond limits uh, in terms of the comprehension of the people I was working with. Because I put my heart, and I, I, it's my life, you know. And the, the, and the movie didn't get finished, or did? No, no, it didn't. And that was the beginning of the humbling. Yes.
0: <laughs> Oh, yes. Oh, yes. There was talk that Gould was on drugs and that this caused him to freak out or have a nervous breakdown. But he's denied that. He hasn't denied using drugs, mind you. He totally admits to using drugs. he liked to smoke a little marijuana and do some psychedelics. But he just denies that drugs was the problem. Gould instead says things like, his problem wasn't drugs, reality was. Or he didn't know how to play the part or that he had no perspective. I
2: you know, even had Carradine and Barbara Hershey came to stay with me for a while, and he had two dogs, and I loved Carradine, and I felt guilty. Look at Carradine and the Carradine family. They're great American actors, and what, look what I'm doing. How do I get in this position yeah. to do this? But, I mean, there was nobody really there with me. Jenny was there, but I can't say that she understood, and I certainly didn't understand, I, I, and I didn't know that I didn't yet have the... Right uh to create i thought that i could and and so i had to pay for it i had to find out that there are boundaries mm-hmm. and i am fine with
0: it i paid for it the prodsky gould production company was basically done they never made a movie out of the assistant the book i mentioned in the opener they did make a few dollars off that woody allen picture though it was 1972's everything you wanted to know about sex but was afraid to ask The Touch, the Ingmar Bergman film that Gould starred in, was released in 1971 and was a flop. It received mixed reviews and recorded a loss of a little over a million dollars. After the long goodbye in 1973, Gould's career picked back up for better or worse, and he's been working steadily ever since. Warner Brothers would be fine. Yeah, I know. No shock there. They took the glimpse of Tiger script and gave it to director Peter Bogdanovich to see if he was interested. He wasn't, but then took some elements of it, flipped the sex of the leads, and turned it into a screwball comedy and called it What's Up, Doc?
1: This is San Francisco, the city chosen by one of the most brilliant and sensitive new generation of filmmakers, Peter Bogdanovich, for his maiden comedy effort, What's Up, Doc? Starring Barbara Streisand and Ryan O'Neal. Where
2: are we? I can't see! Well, there's not much to see, actually. We're inside a Chinese
1: dragon. Any experienced observer of shooting techniques will quickly sense the utterly new... Not only
0: was it a big hit for Warner Brothers in 1972, it was a big hit for star Barbara Streisand, who, in case you don't know, happens to be Elliot Gould's ex-wife. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Industry. This episode was written, edited, and hosted by me, Dan Delgado. Special thanks to my guest, Christopher Tabori. And thank you to WTF with Mark Marin for permission to use a clip from their show. If you enjoyed this episode, there's more in the feed, so go crazy. You can find all the episodes at our website, industrypodcast.org. They say rating and reviewing is good for podcasts. So why not do your old pal Dan a solid and rate and review this show? That's right. You can do this good deed on Apple Podcasts. And I really suggest you do it on Podchaser as well. Podchaser is a sort of IMDB slash social network of podcasts. Check it out. And did I mention that we're an indie pick on CastBox? That's right. So if you need a podcast app to use, CastBox is clearly the one I would recommend. You can follow the show on Twitter at TheIndustry13, Instagram at Industry underscore Podcast, and Facebook at TheIndustryPod. You can also email me and tell me how stupid it was to use different names for all these social media handles at radiodanshow at gmail.com. We'll be back again soon with another lesser-known story of the things that went on in the industry. Stay safe, everyone.